I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Every Christmas morning, just about every Christmas morning, we uh, obviously we experience rather balmy weather. Sometimes the high is actually in the 80s on Christmas here in Central Florida. But we do not have a fireplace. And so I, this, wow, this is almost embarrassing. We have a video and I can choose from eight different fireplaces. And I put it on my TV screen. And while we are having our Christmas devotions and exchanging and opening gifts, we listen to it. It comes with sound. We listen to and watch that fireplace as it crackles and, and such. And <laughs> this, is the, this is the nerd in me. I, I watch for the loop. And when does it start looping, right? OK. But it, OK, it, because in Central Florida, Hey, it's, it's really warm, and I really would rather not have a, an actual fire in my fireplace on Christmas morning. A little bit too warm for that. They, they, I'm sure they also have snowfall. So if you miss can I ask you how many of you have ever experienced, not just seen snowfall, because you can do that on TV, you've actually experienced snow. Raise your hand. You've experienced snow. Some of you have not. You Central Floridians, you. This is true, though, but on, t- on these videos, you can actually have snowfall in idyllic, with idyllic backgrounds. It's amazing. I remember, now, I'm a northern boy. I grew up with snow in the wintertime. Now, it's not like the Dakotas or Maine or some faraway place. I was Wilmington, Delaware, okay, just 30 minutes south of Philly, but it snowed, and, and it would do this at least a couple of times. I remember as a little kid walking through that snow. For me, it was, as a little kid, it was up to my waist. That means it was a, a little over a, a foot. And as my, sometimes my dad, in, you know, just walking through the snow with me, would take my hand, and I would do the best to follow him. But it was always hard, and I would some, he'd walk a little bit too fast, and I couldn't hold on, and boom, I would fall face down into the snow. I couldn't keep up with him. Why? Because I'm wading through all of this snow. So my dad, he said, he said to me, he said, Michael, follow my footsteps. So he would lift up his, and all of his boot prints, and he would do this, not too far apart, and I would then try to lift up my legs as best I could and put them exactly where his feet were. And that's how I would follow my dad, in the snow. Because if I didn't, it would be almost impossible, and I certainly couldn't keep up with him. You know, it it is so easy to respond to Jesus' invitation to follow him, much like Billy in Family Circus. Like, his mom tells him, he take this letter to the mailbox. Does he go straight to the mailbox? No, he does not. And so the whole cartoon is about his little dotted pathway all over the place, you know, climbing up into the top bunk, going into the refrigerator, going down into the basement, going upstairs to find out what's under the Christmas tree, doing, you know, everything but, except at the very end, going to the mailbox. And hopefully he gets there before the mailman does, right? Many of us, that's how we follow Jesus. Many of us, Jesus says, follow me, and we're doing this. And we're just zigzagging all over the place, hoping eventually we're going to make it move in the same direction that Jesus is. And that's how we follow Jesus. 
hopefully end up in the same destination, of course, before the mailman comes, so to speak. So I want to ask you this morning, how are you following Jesus? How are you following Jesus? Maybe, to be honest, you would have to confess, not at all. Or, or maybe, to be honest, you would, you're discouraged. You're taking a little break. It's been hard wading through that snow, hasn't it? It's really deep. You're taking a break. Or maybe you're blazing your own trail, much like Billy in Family Circus, zigzagging all over the place. Or maybe, maybe you're following in Jesus' book, boot prints in that snow, regardless of how deep it is. And I tell you, I've, I've experienced some of the depth of that snow, not just literally, but metaphorically, as I'm talking about right now. I want us to read from Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 8 starting with verse 31 to 37. Now, I read this, or at least most of this, last week. There's a reason why I'm going to be rereading it, you'll see. It says here in verse 31, he then began to teach them. Right after he asked to his disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. He says this, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now, let me just step back two weeks ago. I was preaching on Mark's Spit miracles. Jesus did two spit miracles, the end of Mark 7 and then halfway through Mark 8. Now, the purpose of that was to show us what Jesus was trying to do using something that was shameful. So this was Jesus's intent. Jesus's intent in chapter 8 was to demonstrate compassion. But then last week, we took a step back and we looked at all of chapter 8, and we wanted to ask this question. Okay, we were understanding somewhat of what Jesus' intent is with these various stories. What is Mark's intent? Why does he weave them together as he does? And it was very possible that all of them are in chronological order, but we have to realize, I think we have by now, that Mark doesn't always give us these stories in chronological order. And that's totally okay, according to the custom of his day, when you are telling 
something about history. You don't always follow it in chronological order because Mark has a purpose. He doesn't include all of the miracles of Jesus. He doesn't include all of the teachings of Jesus. He's being selective. Why? Because he has a purpose. So we looked at chapter 8, and we asked the question, what is Mark's purpose? And we, f- we came to the very center, like the, the turnstiles, the, 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 the hinge, the pivot, if you will, of that chapter, and it was when the Pharisees questioned Jesus. Now, when they questioned him, there was this undercurrent antagonism. So their questions were to test him, and they were not true, sincere, honest questions looking for a good answer. They were to see if he would answer correctly. That is, as he should have according to their theological views. And Jesus said, you know what? I'm not going to give you a sign from heaven. Because he had already given them many signs, but he wasn't going to give them a sign from heaven. Like the sun not shining or the moon turning to blood or any number of those things, which, by the way, occurred when Jesus hung on the cross. But at that time, he was not going to do that. And we begin to, to realize that there are sincere questions, but when we start mixing those questions with fears, with antagonism or even anger towards God, things aren't working out the way they are or the way I wanted or the way I prayed, God. Why not? Why aren't they working out? I don't think, see, now we're moving on. I don't think you're being fair with me. And as we begin to wrestle with this, Jesus or Mark brings us to this point of using a an illustration. He uses the story of the man blind as an illustration. When Jesus first put the spit on his eyes, he saw men as trees and not clearly. Then he does it again. Then he sees clearly. He then asks, who do people say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? And Peter answers with, hey, Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're this guy that we've been looking for in the Old Testament, all those prophecies 700 plus years ago, that's who you are, you're the Christ. But this concept of the Christ came with a lot of baggage, unfortunately, because they misunderstood who the Christ would be. So then Mark tells us Jesus began to talk about what was going to happen to him as the Christ that he would suffer that he would eventually go to a cross, that he would die, and that he would rise again. And, and this didn't set well with them because they believed that the Messiah was going to come and set up an earthly kingdom, destroy the Romans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Peter didn't like this. So the very one who said, you're the Christ, was the very one who rebuked Jesus. And Jesus had to tell him, look, Peter, you don't have the things of God in mind right now. And what what Mark's intention was to show us this is that we do not always see things from God's perspective. We see it from man's perspective. And this is going to require what? It's going to require denying self, taking up our cross, and following him. And if you want to resolve doubts in your mind... God is going to need to get a hold of that heart. And for us to willingly admit, you know what, God? I am seeing things only from my perspective. 
and it's wrong. Show me it from your perspective. Today, I want us to really hone in on this concept of following Jesus. I want us to, dis- to, to now, we've been, we, we, last week we looked at the forest. This week I want to look at a particular tree, if you will. I want us to zero in on one particular tree, and it is when Jesus says this, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. (coughs) Let me just explain something here, that at this point, when he says this, he now includes the crowd. When he's talking about his death, resurrection, it's just the 12. When he rebukes Peter, it's just the 12. He gave him a glimpse as far as what God was going to do, and this was just for the 12. So here's what I'm going to do. When Jesus then asks the crowd, do you see when he does this? He asks the crowd to join him. Then in verse 34, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. Mark is wanting us to see something here. Matthew You almost get the impression that he just continues this talk with his disciples. A little bit same with Luke, but Mark includes the crowd. And I believe it's because of this. What Jesus says is meant, number one, for the crowd that doesn't know or understand the cross, the resurrection and its implications, but they will need to, in time, they will need to, And so Jesus, when he says, come follow me, it is directed for the lost, the crowd, but also for the disciples. First for the crowd and then for the... So I want us to see when Jesus is talking about this, he is now talking to two different groups. He's talking to the 12 that he just revealed what's going to be happening to him, the cross resurrection, and also to the lost. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have us look at this from the crowd's perspective. Jesus, first, Jesus says, come after me. Do you see that in the passage here? Come after me. That word after just doesn't simply mean to like pursue. It means come behind me. Come behind me. And using my illustration at the very beginning, Jesus is saying, step where I step. Don't be like a Billy who's wandering all over the place. Follow right behind me. Don't try to come along my side. You're not going to be able to do that. It's not me and you facing the world. It is you following me facing the world, trudging through that snow. You will not be able to make it if you try to blaze your own trail, Billy. All right? And so when Jesus is saying, follow behind me or afterwards, We are coming behind him, just like I followed my dad. So how do we do this? Jesus lays it out. Deny self, take up your cross, and follow me. Deny self, take up your cross, follow me. Go where he goes. Do it just like Jesus will do it. For the 12, they knew that Jesus was going to suffer and die. And so they had an inside track on understanding this. And that was purposeful. 
The world, however, did not completely understand that. For the lost, for the crowd, Jesus was basically getting so simple, and he was saying, stop pursuing self and come to me. So what does that mean for the lost? So here's my question to you. What are you pursuing in life? What are your friends pursuing in life? If, if, you're not, if you're saved right now, don't tune out. I want you to take notes so that you can use this to be able to challenge your unsaved friends. But what are you pursuing in life? Ask them that question. Sit down as you're having this discussion about maybe they got a promotion, you know, good things are happening. What are you pursuing in life? They might answer, well, you know what? I want to one day get married. I want to have kids and friends and a great job. I'm looking forward to this promotion. Okay, so then what? Well, then I'm going to make enough money to do well, and we're going to be able to go on expensive vacations. I'm going to have a great car, great wife, great house. You know, we're going to live great in this, in my life, and I'm going to be happy. Okay, and then what? After you've accomplished all of that and you've gained all of that, then what? Well, I'll rise up in the company. I'm not just going to get this simple promotion today. I'm looking forward to becoming CEO. I'm looking forward to becoming a VP. Or I'm looking forward to rising up in the corporate ladder and attaining prestige and fame and recognition and praise and the perks. You know, and people will admire me. People will love me. Okay? And after you've accomplished all of that, and then what? Well, I guess I'm going to retire, take it easy, and enjoy the rest of my life. Okay, wonderful. And then what? Well, that's it, of course. That's the end of my life. Jesus says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? So I'm going to ask you, or if you already not just know the answer, you're living it, for you to be able to ask your friends, what are you pursuing in this life? What do you really, really want? Because here's the irony of it. All. Most of us, we're looking for love. We're looking for happiness. We're looking to be loved, and we're looking to be happy in this life. We're tired of the rejection. We're tired of the depression and the discouragement and the hopelessness. And we're looking for maybe what Hollywood tells me, that if you just date and get married, you'll live happily ever after. Well, just, I'm all for that. But welcome to a new life and a new set of problems as you're married to someone who is not exactly like Jesus and who is just as imperfect as you are. Then what? I guess we'll have kids. That's right, you will. And as hard as you try, you will have imperfect kids. And once you have imperfect kids, then what? Uh, well, then my job and, and okay, and you're going to be working for an imperfect boss with imperfect people. Wonderful. And you're going to rise within an imperfect company. Then what? Now that you say it that way, I guess I'll look forward to retirement. Wonderful, and you will continue to do what in this absolutely imperfect world? You see, everything that you're looking for is like an illusion. 
And we've been taught it since we were little kids, maybe not from our parents, but from the world, from our TV or videos. What is it that you're really looking for? Here's the irony. When you're looking for love, when you're looking for happiness, they will always become elusive, like grasping for oil, slipping through the fingers. The very thing that you long for, you will never attain. Because you've got it backwards. Jesus says, follow me. Do you want to gain the whole world? Do you want life? Do you want to really live? Then you will need to die. Now, if you're a Christian, you might be thinking, you know what? I've already died. You know, I, I get it. You know, I'm dying to self. Okay, now I've got Jesus. Now I can pursue the world, right? No. No. Because the Greek is in the present tense. And, and so what Jesus is really saying is, I'm sorry, do you, you want to follow behind me? You're going to have to deny self every day. You're going to have to take up your cross every day. Not just when you get saved, every day. And you're going to have to follow me in my footsteps every day. Every day. Always. This is our goal. Not just, okay, I'm going to surrender to Jesus to get saved, and now I've got this free ride to happiness in life. And so, so oh, I see. So as a Christian now, you're going to pursue being loved, and you're going to pursue happiness. And I'm going to tell you right now, again, you've got it backwards. It's when you deny self. It's when you pursue Christ and him alone that you experience the love and the happiness. But in this world, we switch it around. Nope, the world has a lot to offer me. Now that I'm a Christian, now that you're a Christian, that's right, deny self every day. Take up your cross every day and follow Jesus. How church? Every day, every day. Every day we live this way. Every day. I, I believe what Jesus is wanting from us and is calling the crowd, not just to himself, but to a lifestyle. He's inviting them to step where he steps. He is inviting them to obtain a different perspective. So, Diego, I'm going to have you come on up here. You're, you're going to help me as we help each other understand this perspective. Okay, and some of you may have seen this illustration before. Keep going, bro. Keep going. All right, there we go. Here we go. You got it tight? Yep. Wonderful. Now, can you see this very end? It's only about two inches long. It is gray masking tape. This gray masking tape is your life. What I mean by that is, is that's the 70 plus years that God has given you on this earth. The rest of this is eternity. So let's say in this little two inches right here, your life, you pursue everything that you can. You pursue money and fame and you pursue a marvelous job and a beautiful wife and your 2.2 kids and this amazing car and you live the rest of your life for yourself, not like Jesus said, come follow after me, deny self, take up my, your cross, follow me. Not like that, but this. And so all of this, two inches, 
So here's my question. In the end, what do you gain? Now, I'm not just talking about the end here. I'm talking about the end down there. And here's, here's the illusion of this illustration. It's not that this is too long. It's that the rope is too short. Eternity keeps going. I would have Diego walk through that door and keep walking if, this, if there is enough rope. And keep walking and keep walking and keep walking and you get the idea. Look at the brevity of life. This is what you're living for? You're living for two inches? I'm going to challenge you. Live. This is 45 feet wide. Excuse me, 55 feet wide. If this rope is about, I don't know, 50 feet or so. And it keeps going, technically. What are you living for? Are you living for this or are you living for that? Thank you, Diego. We'll just put it right here. What if a man were to gain the whole world, those two inches? In those two inches, gain everything, at least what you think is everything, to make you happy. May I just say, even at the very end of that two inches, you still will not be happy, like water through the fingers. I would say to you, wow, my friend, look at all that you gain at the end. And I don't mean at the end of those two inches, but at the end of that rope. It's been nothing. It's been nothing. I'm sure many of you are aware, you've been told, how do you capture a monkey? Yeah. Now, out in the jungle where the monkeys roam free <clears throat> and they want to capture a monkey, and I'm not going to tell you what they capture them for because it's probably not for the zoo. But when they want to capture a monkey, many times what they will do is they will take a coconut and drill a hole, and you, monkey's hands are much smaller than mine, and they, they don't need to drill a very big hole, and the monkey can put his hand in that hole because inside the hole is some food. Inside the, that hole of the coconut is some food. And so they'll put their hand in there and grab it, and then they'll put their hand in another one and grab the food, and then the hunters show up immediately. What is the monkey going to do? Do you think he's going to pull his hands out and, and run away? And the best thing that he can do is not run, but to do what? Swing from branch to branch. Can you imagine, though, what would happen if the monkey chose not to pull his hands out? He would find himself completely incapable of swinging from branch to branch. The best way for him to escape and elude the hunter. Here's what the monkey does, though. Instinctually. They will hold on to that food, and they will not let go no matter what. They will not let go of that food, and they will not be able to swing from the branches. And so they've got to run you know, like this on the ground, and they immediately get captured for whatever purposes that the hunter has in mind. Some of you have held on to the things of this world, and you will not let go. Your hands are in the coconut, and life is hard for you right now, but you're still holding on. Even though you may have heard a pastor, maybe myself, over and over say, let go, you do not let go. And I'm going to just tell you right now, 
that the end of your life with your hands in the coconut is destruction. You want to be free? If you want to be free, you're going to need to let go. Whatever you're holding on to that's pulling you down, that's keeping you from the real answer or way of escape, for the monkey that's branch to branch, for you, it is following Jesus. And Jesus is saying, deny self. Let go of those personal pursuits that are all about you. Stop focusing on personal happiness. See, when you follow Jesus, happiness is a byproduct. It will come. But there's going to be times still in following Jesus, and you have let go, that happiness may be elusive. Not the joy. Last month I taught about joy. But the happiness may, because happiness is emotions. And church, let's just be honest. We go through some stuff, some junk in this life that is hard, and we step back, and just like Mark taught us last week, we begin to ask questions, legit questions. And when God doesn't do life the way we want him to do it in our lives, it's very tempting to get angry with God and to shake our fist at him and have the very same attitude that the Pharisees had. Their questions were simply to trap him. They weren't sincere questions. They weren't really looking for answers. And so our questions will lead to doubts. And eventually, as I said, we will walk away and end up saying, hey, you know what? You're telling me about this Jesus fellow, but you know what? I tried God, and he didn't work. Hmm. Maybe the problem was you didn't take the hands out of the coconuts. Maybe, huh? So stop pursuing personal happiness. Stop pursuing personal greatness. What do you really want out of life? Are you looking for the applause of men? To be honest with you, as a kid, that's what I was looking for. You asked me, so Mike, when you grow up, what do you want to do? I'll tell you, this is my answer. I want to become a baseball player. But hey, not any baseball player. I wanted to be that guy that was standing at the home plate with bases loaded, two outs, full count, connected with the ball, and guess where the ball went? Come on, over, over the, the fence. That's, and I would be the hero. Game seven, we win. Or in the Super Bowl, last seconds of the game, Hail Mary. Mike Curtis catches it in the end zone. <sighs> right? Now, come on. Yeah, you laugh, but you have had the same dreams. It may not have been to a cat caught a touchdown pass, but it was for people to admire you. Hmm? Yeah. Even as Christians, we can still fall into this trap. Our life becomes trying to get people to admire us. That feeling of love, it lasts so short because you've got it backwards. Maybe deny self means stop longing for everyone to love and accept you. It's tripping you up. Let go of those personal desires. Let go of the coconut, right? Then Jesus, he, he moves on. And he says, not only do you need to deny self, but you need to take up your cross. Now, here is a truth, and 
Many of us, we have seen the, the picture of Jesus carrying the entire cross. That would have been hundreds of pounds. They would not have asked Jesus to carry the entire cross. It, it's not a two by four, okay? It's not something like this right here. That's not what Jesus hung on. That is like a vastly miniaturized version of a, of a real cross. They were connected in the middle. But you know what? What they carried was the beam. Strapped to them, somehow able to carry it, maybe carrying it, just wrapping their arms over it, but now having to carry their cross. This is what Jesus is alluding to. But if you're carrying your cross, where are you carrying it to? The place where you die. You see? Every day, carry your cross. Don't look to your spouse next to you and say, yep, yep, you're my cross. <laughs> but I will gladly bear this cross, Jesus. I'm so righteous, so good, such a good husband, such a good wife. No, 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 no. Jesus is telling you that that cross that you need to carry is that surrendered life. Completely surrendered life to the death of Mike Curtis. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. When I decided to follow Jesus, I had to make this decision, who am I going to follow? Because I've been following me up to that point. As religious as I was, I, I saw through it age 14, and I realized I needed to follow Jesus. And so the first thing I was challenged, I have to deny self. Now I've got to take up my cross. And can I say, even in my prayer before the sermon, we live in a day in which persecution of Christians is the highest ever by far. You may not be experiencing that because for the most part, we live in a post-Christian nation. That means that we were once a Christian nation, we have abandoned our roots, and so now we welcome anything that comes down the theological pike, anything that comes down the, the, the philosophical avenue. We embrace it. We think about it. We say, well, you know what? It's Jesus and. Well, you know what? He's not the only way. And we begin, as a nation, we have been entertaining these other possibilities because we for the most part, have abandoned the gospel. So you may not be receiving a lot of persecution, unless, of course, you're a little bit radical, and Jesus talks about this. Are you willing to sacrifice yourself for me and for the gospel? In which Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Not through Muhammad. Not through Hare Krishna or Buddha or Confucius or anyone else that you would admire, admire in our day. I don't care what band member or rapper or Hollywood movie star. Dead end. I don't care if they're a Christian. Dead end. Jesus said, follow behind me. Take up your cross every day to follow me. Make that decision. I am not going to pursue self. I am not going to pursue what I want. 
Did you hear that? I am not going to pursue what I want unless what you desire is truly in line with what God desires for you. And you can find that out in his word. You can find it out. Don't sugarcoat it, though. You can find out what God truly wants for your life. Do you want Christ to live in you? Paul said, to do that, you have to be crucified with Christ, and you can't live any longer. But Christ in you. And so Jesus then moves on, and he says, then follow me. So you've denied self. You've taken up your cross, as heavy as that thing is to bear, to your death. Now you're ready to follow me. Now you're ready. You remember the rich young ruler when he came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Number one, may I emphasize he was a young rich ruler. And in his youth, excuse me, youths, he thought he knew everything. He thought that he had the world by the tail. He thought that he was following the Ten Commandments and, oh, he was so serious. Oh, my goodness, of course. How many people who were good Jewish boys would ever come to Jesus in public and ask him, what must I do to be saved? The only other person that did this was a lawyer who tried to trap Jesus. Another one kind of was asking that question. He worded it totally different, and that was Nicodemus. Oh, Jesus, you're such a wonderful guy. You heal so many people. And Jesus cut him off. Excuse me, Nicodemus. You're going to need to be born again. And he just blew Nicodemus out of the water. Born again? I got to enter my mother's womb. No, 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 no. You're not following me. You got to be born. You, you, you've got to have your heart changed. You got to become a new creation in me. Even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, the bronze serpent, and people looked to it. So when people look to me, they will be saved. God so loved the world. That's where John 3.16 comes in. Are you looking to Jesus to be healed, to be saved, to be rescued? Nicodemus wasn't. Now I would venture to say that later he did. We find him with Joseph of Arimathea wrapping Jesus' body in John 20. Yeah, John 20. Caring for Jesus' body as it was just pulled down off the cross, preparing it for burial. Only he and Joseph of Arimathea, the only two in the Sanhedrin, were so willing to publicly in any way align themselves with this man who was crucified for what he claimed to be the king of the Jews. So this rich young ruler comes to Jesus thinking he's got the world by the tail, but he is probably wanting to impress Jesus and maybe those who were following Jesus at the time so, Jesus, what must I do to be saved, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus begins, so I want you to follow this command, and I want you to follow this command, and this command. And Jesus was going somewhere. He wasn't trying to teach them, you know what, if, you're, if you just obey the commandments, you're going to be good. He wanted, the, he wanted the rich young ruler to see something. And the rich young ruler responded to all those commandments, and Jesus listed five or six, and said, oh, that's a piece of cake. Jesus, I've been doing that since I was a little boy. And Jesus was probably thinking, oh, my goodness, you're still a little boy. Yeah, whatever. Then he turns to him and he said, okay, then here's what I want you to do. You've got it all. You know it all. Here's what I want you to do. Jesus is so gracious. 
He says, I want you to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. What? So wait, wait, wait a second, Jesus. You mean in order to have eternal life, I just give my money to the poor and earn my way to heaven? See, that's probably what it was going through his mind. And Jesus, now, you, you still don't understand what I'm saying. Because what you have done in your life is you have made religion and following the commands and being such a good person and your money as your God. That's who you follow. You're wanting to follow me? Because that's what it is. I could just simply say, you want eternal life? Come follow me. Do not say, take up your cross, follow me. I could tell you this, but I'm going to hit home because you serve a different God. You think you serve Yahweh? You do not. You serve your own God that comes in the green stuff or maybe the gold stuff back then. We don't use gold these days, do we? <laughs> yeah, you're following money. You're, that is who you really want to. You want to follow me? You've got to lay down your God. You're going to have to deny self and take up your cross. You want to follow me? Sell everything you have. Give it to the poor because that is your God. Abandon your gods. Do you want to follow Jesus? I'm telling you, abandon your gods. That's what Jesus told the rich young ruler. What are you really pursuing in life? Because you cannot serve God and wealth. God and the world. Can't do it. You cannot have two gods in your life. You'll either love the one and hate the other despise the one or cling to the other. You can't do it. You can't have two masters. You can't have two voices saying, go in this pathway. Come follow me. Only one voice. And Jesus here is saying, I am that voice. Come follow me. Follow behind me. So what does this mean then for the Christian? Now, I think as Christians, we're already starting to see some of this, that maybe there's a little bit of compromise in our life. And maybe we're going to make it to heaven, the rest of that rope. But at what cost to you and to your eternal destiny? You might make it, but as Paul says, by the skin of your teeth. I'm not exactly sure how teeth can have skin, but that's, that's the concept. And so you just barely make it. Here's something that's, that's interesting. Sometime this week, I came downstairs, and a few weeks ago, we purchased this bag of m and I think it's about 65 pounds of M&Ms. Okay, all right. Now, actually, it's two pounds and six ounces, I see. That's a lot of M&Ms. I came downstairs. And Church, feel with me right now. I was so heartbroken because I'm fasting this stuff this month. Ah, and I came downstairs hoping that maybe by the end of January, come February, I can reach in and get some. I'm looking in the bag. There's two M&Ms left. <laughs> two stinking M&Ms. I'm wondering, when you were eating the M&Ms last night, why did you leave just two? Why didn't you just eat the rest and throw the bag away? Now, I am not trying to condemn anyone in my family. So I please, please, because I have done this too. 
except it may not have been with M&Ms. I usually do it with the bag of chips, right? There's like two-thirds of a bag left, a big bag, and I'm sitting down watching a movie, and before I know it, I'm almost done. So how do I think? The next morning, one of my kids is going to be reaching for this bag of chips, and when they don't find it, they're going to ask, who ate all the chips? That was my question. Who ate all the M&Ms? But I couldn't honestly ask that question. Why? Because there were two M&Ms in there. I couldn't ask that question. So when you, yeah, when you're asked who ate all the chips, you don't want to be that guy. Yeah, yeah sorry, sweetie. That was, that was your daddy. I got carried away and I ate them all. I'm going to leave a few in there so they can't ask the questions. So this morning, there are two M&Ms in this bag. So for the last five days, there probably, I think there were about six of them in there out of what, four or five hundred, six of them were left because the person who was eating, and in all honesty, it was probably several, um, and they were probably eating on it, and they just, the last person looked at it and says, oh, I don't want to eat all of them. If the question is asked, I want to look good, dad, I didn't eat them all, technically, right? And so, so over the weeks, that has been, not throwing you girls or baby my son under the bus here, but, because I've done this too, every time some, and there, there were six or seven in there, and now there's two. So that means every time someone reached in there, they didn't want to be that guy. I'm not going to take the rest. There's only three left. I better leave some, right? <laughs> I mean, what on earth? Here is where I'm going with this. Why did we leave only two? Because we're afraid of that question. You didn't want to be that guy. You didn't want to eat all of them. You know what? Many times we leave a few, if you will, to feel better about ourselves and not look so bad to others. You know, maybe, like the rich young ruler, we make a lot of money. So what do we do? Well, make sure you put that 20 spot in the offering plate. Why? Because I don't win that. Hey, do you do you tithe? I'm sure nobody asked that question. But do you tithe? Well, sure I did. Do. Um, so we give. It's like our token. We're living a life of greed, and we're starting to feel guilty illustration, I don't want to take the last chip or the last M&M, so I'm going to leave some. That is, I'm going to give just a little bit away. Not close to 10%, but, you know, I'll give a little bit because that will make me feel better. We compromise to make it to the top of the corporation ladder, and we're starting to feel guilty because of how we got there. So every now and then, we find it within us to tell the truth. Every now and then, we find it within ourselves to actually be nice to an employee and not trample them with our selfish ambition. Every now and then, we actually invest in someone other than ourselves. We leave a few M&Ms in the bag. Or we buy a Snickers bar, and we feel guilty, so we buy a Diet Coke. Okay, whatever. <laughs> we don't want to feel guilty. Are you denying self, taking up your cross and following Jesus? Well, well, I mean, kinda. See, 
Jesus didn't leave room for kind of. Jesus said, you're, you're either all in or you're not. Now, I'm not saying that he requires perfection of us. He just asks us to live that surrendered life. Starting at the moment of my conversion at age 14, I had to surrender to Jesus. I didn't step back and say, okay, I did the surrender thing. Now I can live the rest of my life for me and seek to be loved, seek to be admired, seek to gain, gain, gain. What, gain the whole world? What for, Mike? For that two inches on the rope? Jesus calls us to radical living. But can I assure you that if you fail, and we all will, that doesn't mean, well, I guess I blew it. Let me just go back to the way I was. No, you get up and you repent. Remember, right before Jesus spoke, you want to come after me? Deny self, take up your cross and follow me? What did he just tell his disciples? The Christians, if you will. If you fail, there's the cross and resurrection. And you will always go back to that. Broken, but surrendered. Always. But for you who are not Christians, Jesus simply says, you got you to gotta lay it down. You want to gain the whole world? You want to grab it by its tail, so to speak? You're going to need to let it go. Because if you don't, you will be trapped forever. You will have lift those two inches in view of eternity for what? You will gain nothing. I want to just leave a challenge with us this morning. What are you living for? Whether you're lost in your sin or if you're a Christian, what are you living for? There's only one answer. Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us. He says, whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Can you stand with me? Father, I, I think if we were to be really honest, there's a lot more crucifying that needs to go on in our life. Maybe for the first time, letting go to gain you. Maybe as Christians, we have fallen into traps and we are still holding on to what's inside those coconuts. Help us to let go right now, God. Help us to lay it down at your feet right now. And I just ask you, Father, that as we do this, come and rescue us. Rescue us, God, either from the death that we are living to know you, or rescue us, Father, from this trap that we have again found ourselves in. As we let go, come to my rescue. I choose to live for Christ and his gospel, denying self, taking up my cross to die, and following him.
We love you, Lord. Help us right now in this great moment of need and show us your grace. Help us, God, in Jesus' name.